Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose, Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Series. Let's have our joke now. Hi, I'm Spencer, an alcoholic joke teller. All right, and this one comes from a rabbit walks into a bar. Uh, also, best jokes and cartoons from A.A. Grapevine. All right. An Al-Anon and an A.A. member went on a camping trip together. Each had been active members of their programs for 23 years and were enjoying themselves tremendously. Then night came, and they went to sleep in their tent. About three in the morning, the Al-Anon woke the alcoholic and asked, What do you see? Why, I see a sky full of brilliant stars and gorgeous moonlight, the alcoholic replied. How great is our higher power for creating such a beautiful night. What do you see? The Al-Anon answered, I see that somebody has stolen our tent. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Marianne. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that might make noise that might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation. Thank you. 
and on both screens is our fog light prayer. Please join me. God, God let your love shine through me like a fog light for those who are lost, sick, and dying and find your love through me. Thank you. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we've discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. And I have asked Brian to come and read a spiritual experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what one is. Brian, alcoholic. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that, our person, that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, Many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions... Our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation by Herbert Spencer. Thank you, Brian. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane mode or just turn it off if you could do that, please. That would be great. And... um, 
So it's my honor and my privilege to introduce our speaker tonight. She's a woman who speaks the language of the heart. My friend Carla says we, we come together with other alcoholics and we reminisce. And that's how I view my relationship with Paulette. So come on up and share your experience, strength, and hope, Paulette. Yay. Thank you, Mary. Welcome, beauty. Thank you. There, but for the grace of God. Thank you, my sister. That's what she gave me when I came in. Thank you. It's so nice to be um, back here at Alcoholics and, uh, and God. Um, I was stuck in traffic. So we, uh, we are on step one tonight. Talk about powerlessness. I really had to... Um, actually, I was jamming with my radio on. Eh? Um, playing music from um, Sirius XM and um, remembering what I used to do but in a different way now. Um, I was excited coming here tonight. It felt like when I used to go out on Saturday night and I would dress up and I would know that I was just going to be the belle of the ball and um, but that's how I felt tonight getting here tonight. You talk about a psychic change. Um, On a Thursday night I'm getting ready to come to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and I'm jamming in the car and I'm just like traffic is not holding me down and I'm like just do your thing dude and I'm like yeah what a life what beyond my wildest dreams so we're here tonight on the uh, let me get my big book out Uh, and if you're here tonight or your visit in for your first AA meeting, there must be something wrong with you. Because <laughs> nobody comes out on a Thursday night to hang out with people like me if you don't have a problem. And um, so I guess you're in the right place, because I certainly am. Um, I'm grateful for our colleagues, Anonymous. I certainly am excited to be here, and I want to tell you something, guys. As my friend Thomas says, today is the best day of my life. I'd like to start by um, saying the set-aside prayer that my sponsor, Dorothy Harris, gave me a couple, 24 hours ago, and I always use it before I get into step studies because it, it balances me and it brings the um, feeling of calm, sense of belonging, and that I'm being taken care of. And it goes like this. By the way, there is many versions of this, but this is the one that was given to me that continues to speak to my spirit. And um, it goes like this. Dear God, please set aside everything I think I know about myself. This book, my disease, these steps, and especially about you, dear God, so that I may have an open mind and a new experience with all these things. Please help me to see the truth. Thank you for your indulgence. 
Um, I am an alcoholic. And I am a member of the One Day at a Time group of Alcoholics Anonymous located in Miramar. My home group meets every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. I am sponsored and I sponsor. To me, it's the difference between work and working. I do have a sober date and my sober date is January 28, 1995. And my name is Paulette. Hello, fellow travelers. Um, tonight, I, we are on step one, uh, the problem. You're looking at it. Um, uh, uh, if you're like me, and I suspect you are because you're here, um, I did not have a clue about alcoholism. And I must say that off the bat because... I did not come from a place where alcoholism was talked about, discussed. Um, the destructive behaviors of alcoholics in the throes of our illness manifested itself in, in my life growing up, but it wasn't known or talked about as alcoholism. And so um, I have to say that I came to you guys clueless about the disease that I now know I have for the rest of my life. So I'd like to start by reading the step as it's written. And um, those of you who have heard me before know the reason why I do it. I don't read it because I want you to know I can read. I read it because I have the thing about me that I can add words in uh, and, and make it sound really powerful. And I will tell myself that it is make me motivated and encourages me to do it better. And, and that's not true. And so I read the step as it's written every time. And step one of this wonderful program that we have been given the grace to have today says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's what step one says. Um, I will be focusing on one of, the, one of my favorite um, people on planet Earth, even though he's not alive physically, he's alive for me today every time I open the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's Dr. Silkworth. He is one of my favorite people on planet Earth because he took the time out to watch and look at people like me and to wonder what could happen to people like me when we put alcohol in our body and destroy our lives and the people around us. And someone who, doesn't, who did not suffer from alcoholism to take the time out to do what he did and to find a solution that could bring it and write, they wrote it down for me. I am so grateful for that. So he's one of my favorite. And that's where I will be focusing on. As you know by now, I'm not one of those um, speakers and I'm not criticizing. I'm just telling you how I do the steps here at Alcoholics and God and other places that I am asked to do service. I don't read the book verbatim. I read a part of it that helps me to express to you my experience, strength, and hope. 
and how it relates to me in practical terms. I am an alcoholic who is very practical. I also have a vivid imagination. And if it's not reined in and balanced, I can get into a whole lot of trouble. If you notice, there is not a halo around my head. Um, it's a day at a time, depending on my spiritual condition. And um, I was working with one of my sponsees the other day. And, and um, we were reading about working with others. And it struck me about when um, Bill talks about um, discussing with a, a, a newcomer the physical aspects of alcoholism. And I just thought about that for a moment. And I was like, oh my God, the physical aspects of alcoholism. And I was like, oh God, but I'll get into it. Now, he says, um, first of all, we're going to be talking about rebuilding our lives. And I like to use architectural terms. Um, it works for me because I can envision it. I talk about it in a way in which I am rebuilding a home in which I am now about to live in a new woman with a set of principles, a God of my own understanding to guide me. This God that I will be talking about as we continue each week, you will get to, to know this God of mine, my own conception that has expanded over the years, who is the architect of my life. And so this is what I, I, I like to start with telling you about building this house. And if you can imagine a new, brand new house building from the ground up, this is what step one means to me. Tearing down everything that was there before and starting anew. Bedrock, the book talks about it. And so um, um, it, I have the fourth edition, by the way. So don't come up to me after and tell me about what is in your third edition. Um, I have the fourth edition. And, um, and I mean, Roman numeral, numeral um, XX um, um, 6. I call it um, the one that, that starts off it for me in the doctor's opinion. And in this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe. The body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life. That's a mouthful of somebody smacking me around, <laughs> telling me some truth. And I'm going to tell you something about my life as I go through this, what Dr. Silkwork wrote for us. My son um, turned 40 this year. And um, he came to spend his birthday with me. And as he's in the pool, I'm sitting by the poolside and I watched my son doing laps. And I said to him, and, and I had, a, I had a, a vision, a memory about what it was like when he was growing up and I was active in my alcoholism. And it just flashed before my eyes that my son would look at me every time I was getting ready to leave the house. 
his eyes would tell me that with fear that he may never see me again. And that did not stop me. I would remember how he looked at me as if he was begging me not to go through that door. And I had that memory in January. And I just remembered, I said, oh my God, I could not believe that with that look from a child that I gave birth to, that would stop me, it couldn't stop me from going through that door. Because I knew I had no choice, I had to go. And so that brought me back to reality. So here I am telling you about how step one works when I take it off the shades and put it into practical use. It's just my, this, this program for me is in three stages. First, I have to name the problem. Then it's the solution. And then I have to take the solution, which is a, which is a set of action steps, and learn how to use them into my life to build this new life. So I can't understand anything first if I don't know what the problem is. And so I have to know what the problem is. Now, if you're like me, I didn't go to the doctor when I was sick. I diagnosed myself. Last time I checked when I was actively drinking, I had an MD at, behind my name. So I would do all my diagnosis myself. And, do, and then I would fix it. And you know how we fix that. Uh, nothing that uh, a drink can't cure was my thing. So when I, when, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous through the psychiatric facility, by the way, it's called Kings County Psychiatric Facility, which is still standing, thank you, God. Um, they call it the G Building. That's where I came out of and landed in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I am one of those alcoholics who I call a garden variety drunk. I have never met a drink that I didn't like. I have never met a drink that I have never cheated on. I have never met a drink that I ever said no from the minute I picked up my first drink. Now, I did not understand about this alcoholism. I am coming to you back then. Now I know. But back then, all I ever wanted was to be able to stand up in front of people and be whoever I want to be without any regards of you judging me or accepting me, without thought, without care, with abandon. I just did not like who I was at the time. So when I saw what it did to my sister, I decided this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to be like her. Because when she drank, she came alive. She commanded attention. She could hold a whole bar hostage. My goal in life. And so this is what I set out to do. So in my early introduction to alcohol, I had lofty ideas. I had goals. I had dreams of becoming successful in life. And so 
alcohol was my choice because I needed courage. See, I was an alcoholic before I picked up my first drink because of my thinking. I didn't like myself. I was very uncomfortable with myself. And so when he talks about that I have an abnormal mind, my thinking, at the time, I did not have the courage to step out and face life successfully without something or a crutch. Alcohol became my crutch. I saw what it did to my sister and I followed suit. Now I'm going to tell you when he says, the doctor says that we have an allergy to alcohol. First time I read that I had a problem with it. Because I cannot understand what it meant to have an allergy. Because my thinking or my understanding of what an allergy is, um, is not what this is about. You see, I thought you had allergy like hay fever, have an allergy to peanuts, um, strawberries. No. An allergy, an abnormal reaction to alcohol when I drink it. And I did not understand what that meant. And so an abnormal reaction when I, to alcohol when I drink it, when I put it in my body... In my early days of drinking, that wasn't abnormal. It was come alive time. It was get up and go time. It was dancing on tables. It was closing the bars, being thrown out of bars. I'm not your average drinker that goes into a bar and cross my legs and have something pink in a cocktail glass. I mean, I'm one of those alcoholics who had it straight up, no ice. Because my thinking is, why put ice when you're going to water it down? Straight up. Because my emotions were so erratic and my emotions were what I responded to that I acted out on. If I thought about something, it's only a matter of time before I acted out on it. And so with alcohol poured on that emotional upheaval, you know what you're going to get. And, uh, and so when he talks about an allergy... And pouring alcohol in my body. He's talking about this abnormal reaction. That I have a physical reaction to it. My body changes. Now, I'm one of those alcoholics who thinks um, that normal drinkers should never touch alcohol at all. Because when they have one or two drinks and they said that's enough. They, they stop, even if they're not finished. I call that alcohol abuse. <laughs> because that's the kind of um, husband I had. One, two sip, he, and he's done. His body tells him he's had enough, and he listens to it. When I have one or two, my body says, keep going. Because one is not enough. This, this craving, that phenomenon of craving that the book talks about starts taking hold of me and I can't get enough to fill my, the hole in me. And so this kind of new idea coming in, I, uh, it, it's, it's for me was very strange thinking. It's, it's a part of a new idea that once... I put a drink in my body, the obsession to keep going 
has just started now. I can't think nothing more but drink. Now, an obsession for this alcoholic is an idea that overshadows any other idea. Nothing else matters. And so when I start drinking, it's all I can think about. Now, I think about drink before I picked it up. I don't know about you. I plan it out in my head. I go about my day doing all the mundane things that life has to offer. But I cannot wait to go get that drink. And I thought that was normal. Now the book tells me that's abnormal. That someone like should get up and live their life that way. I am one of those alcoholics that did not drink for a day or a night. I am one of those alcoholics who disappeared for days and didn't see that wasn't normal. Because I'm trying to tell you for me, I had to look at my behavior drinking to understand the problem I had. I have to find out what the problem is because this program is about diagnosing me. For the first time in my life, it says we admitted. That means other people, you, who came in before, admitted. It means for the first time I'm going to tell you the truth, my truth, about what is my problem. I didn't think I was an alcoholic. I did not have any clue. And so when the layer, I, I disappeared for four days and ended up in an after-hour club. And I'm in this after-hour club in, in Brooklyn, New York. That's where I got sober. The one, those after-hour club with one red bulb. That kind of place. Because at that stage of my drinking, and this is progressive, because I did not start out there. Started out in nightclubs and all the other places till I ended up in these spots. Because I did not go out to be a social drinker. It's another distinction. I am not one of those social drinkers. I didn't go out for conversation. I went out because I wrote a prescription. I need to kill these feelings, these thoughts, these emotions. I could not face life successfully. This is a part of my problem. How do I face life successfully without some kind of crutch? And so I'm trying to look at my my behavior, my thinking, and my action as I continue to discover more about what I, they say I have. My, my, my therapist who sent me to AA, God bless her, she's not one of us. But she told me that my drinking was a problem. There were people like you who had the same problem I had that was living successfully. I didn't understand that. See, I didn't hang out with people who didn't drink. Because if you didn't drink, you were suspect. Something was wrong with you. So the problem that for, for me coming into AA was trying to figure out what is wrong with me. Why can't I stop drinking? I did not understand that I had lost the power to stop drinking. I did not see it that way, even when I landed in the psychiatric facility. This is the disease I have. And then they told me it's an illness. 
allergy. All these strange words that I, could, I had trouble with. But then I came into AA and I sat in the back. And that's why it's so important that I have to tell you. First of all, you need to get a big book. And you need to get another fellow traveler who has a working knowledge of how this, to work these steps in your life. Please don't go it alone. Because the same mind that brought you in here cannot get you well. That's what they told me. And I say this because I sat in the back, the first meeting, and I listened and I, hadn't, I heard nothing. All I was was looking at the cups that you were drinking out of. Because I figured if you were drinking out of cups, it had to be something that was going to take you out of yourself, like alcohol did. I was suspect. See, I was always looking for something to say, this doesn't work. That's another part of my disease. Try to prove you wrong. And did this all my life. And so when I, when I, on my third meeting, I'm sitting in the back. And they had a speaker meeting. I didn't hear what he said except for one thing. And he said, you can't be high and sober at the same time. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) But here is the kicker. This is what I'm trying to tell you about my problem. See, you say I couldn't drink. I'm taking my therapist's word and I'm taking what AA says. And what AA says, you can't drink, but you didn't say I can't smoke weed. And so I would go home and I would smoke weed after my meeting. Because after all, I'm depressed. (laughs) And so I'm telling you all about the disease I have, the thinking. Why it's important for me to go through it back again with you in order for me to completely admit that I'm powerless over alcohol. I'm sitting there and this man says it. And thank God for my friend Evelyn. Who I made in the AA. She explained the doctor's opinion to me. Complete abstinence. What? Nothing? Yeah. If you want what we have. And so by the time I realized that I had no choice, but something happened to me by coming to meetings. And this is, what, this is what I love about the doctor's opinion. When he tells me this, he says, I can, an allergic type such as me can never safely use alcohol in any form. This is what he says, it's right there. Which means me smoking weed, it was another way of getting alcohol in my body. It's another form for me. And so by me looking at that, I went home. Longest walk, three blocks from my meeting. It was as if somebody tied some lead to my feet or bricks. Because I slowly walked as if I was going to my death. And I went home, went into my little bathroom, had a funeral and flushed my weed down the toilet. And cried. Because I knew. That I was never going to pick it up again. I just didn't know how I was going to do it. And I went back to meetings. And changed my sober date. That's why my sober date is January 28. Because I knew that. From that day to this day. 
I have never put a mood altering substance in my body unless I was in the hospital under doctor's care. Because I knew then, not even understanding what alcoholism is, I was able to do that because of the we in the program of AA. Because you guys talked about what you guys did and how it was that it helped you to stay stop one day at a time. So when he talks about um, frothy emotional appeal, seldom suffice me. I thought of my son and the look he gave me when I'm going through the door knowing that he may never see me again and not caring, just going out there because I had to have no choice. You know, in the 12 and 12, in, 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 in the first step, um, Bill calls um, alcohol the rapacious creditor. It means that I can, all, I can never pay down the principal. I can, I'm always paying off the interest because my life is in such shambles. I can never get ahead. And so part of my disease is that I'm always, I got to go. Where are you going? I'll be back. That's usually my usually statement to my family. I'll be back. And they never ever ask me when. Because they knew that was a question that would never be answered truthfully. I can never tell you the truth from the false anymore. I live in a fantasy world all in my mind. So when it tells me that I have to tell you that all these things you were sharing at meetings, that some of it applied to me and then, my, then I'm reading it in the book. First of all, I did not care for the big book in the beginning. I was so mad at Bill Wilson and all these people. I did not identify with them because I, tr I knew the truth was coming out of it. That's the disease I have. I don't want to hear it. And so I take flight from reality every day while I was drinking and coming to meetings. That's why I say to people that I said, thank God for the old timers who helped me in the beginning. Because I would not have the solid foundation in AA that step one gives me. My powerlessness over drink was so strong that I was fearful to pass a bar. And at the time living in Brooklyn, there were more bars than churches. There was a bar on every corner. And pretty much I was in all of them. And so I had to learn how to cross the street. Or take a different route. To go wherever I needed to go in early sobriety. And I call it sobriety loosely because that time I was dry. Because I consider that my dry period. Learning about the problem. What is this problem? This problem, it tells me that I am chasing this sensation that is going to elude me every time. This is what Dr. Silkworks tells me. It's like chasing the, the dragon, as they would say in the other world. I can never ever reclaim the first high that I got from drinking. I could never recapture it, but I kept doing it. This allergy that he says, my abnormal thinking, it's the allergy, it's like scratching an itch until it bleeds. This is the disease I have. 
And then it is described as a disease. It is not that you are weak-willed, Paulette. It's not that you, have, you lack morals. It's not that you have no values. It's that when you pour some liquid in your body from that bottle that you admire so much, you turn into something that nobody else understands. What happens to a nice, wonderful, ambitious young lady that get up in the morning and says that I have a plan, that I am going to do these things, and by the end of the day, nobody can find me. I am missing in action. What happens to this person who comes home on the defensive after being missing for four days and pick a fight with your family so that they are the problem and you're not? So you don't have to explain your behavior. What happens to a person who takes the money that is supposed to be for buying food to feed your family and runs around and shops until you drop and drink the rest and never thinks about that there's no food in the refrigerator? What happens when you run the bank account up, Paulette? And, you, and you, get, you have no money. And your husband goes to get money. And there's none. And you're looking around as if it's his fault. This is the disease I have. I have done every bit of that and then some. I ha- could not stop. Until I realized that the, the, the thought of drinking was not working anymore and I couldn't stop that was my bottom it wasn't that I went into the psychiatric facility it was in a blackout that I came out of a blackout and realized that I couldn't get drunk and I couldn't get sober no matter how much I poured into me That awakening, I call it my first awakening that led me to the psychiatric facility. I am talking about my problem because step one to me, it is about tearing my problem. I have to look at it from that perspective because no solution can happen if I don't identify the problem. And this is what happened to me. And I realized that I was identifying with certain people in the rooms who shared exactly the way I drank. What happened to me? No regards for people. No regards for loved one. No matter what happened, a drink will solve it. That's the thinking. Escape from life. Flight from reality. This is always running away from me. Never facing my responsibility. And so this is what happens to me. So when I finally found a a moment where it came to me. And that's what AA meeting is. Uh, Every AA meeting for me is a reassurance that this thing works. No matter how defiant I am, one of you suckers get into my head. And a new thought takes hold. And somehow I leave that meeting convinced that something is wrong with me and I need to get help. 
And this is what happened. I'm sitting in the meeting and I remember, and the speaker said it, and I read it recently too, that if my body won't allow, if I can't drink because of my body, and I can't quit drinking because of my mind, then I'm powerless. I read it three times. The physical and the mental. Twofold disease that I have is about to kill me. And I am saying that I ain't got it. And so step one says, if I finally get to that place where, Bill, where he says, in my alcoholic life, whenever I am restless, irritable, and discontented, my mind tries to recall some place, some time, somehow, where I can find Find ease and comfort. This ease and comfort would come from drinking. And if I can find that, then I will be. This is my disease. This is what it looks like. So here I am in AA and you're saying every time I get irritable. Ill at ease and discontented. And I need to find ease and comfort. I need to get to a meeting. I need to call one of you. I need to tell you that I feel like I need a drink. I have to realize that somehow my thinking or my solution is about to change. I don't know about you, but that wasn't an easy task for me. Early sobriety, I was detoxing in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was shaking. It wasn't easy. But I knew enough from going back, as I have shared very little, about how I drank. It wasn't the drink itself. It was the thinking before I picked up the drink that was my problem. If I could put something different in my head before I picked up that drink, then maybe I have a shot at it. And then I saw other people who looked worse than I did. So I thought. And what happened was they were staying sober. So one of the things about step one is, I know I'm powerless over it because I told you all. I knew it. I knew that I had to admit, and when I realized it, at first I never raised my hand to say I was an alcoholic. I sat in a meeting, and I listened, and I listened. Beginners' meetings helped me. It took me a while to raise my hand to claim that. That, I admit, is the first time I've ever been truthful about who I am. Step one is about truth, honesty. It is the firm bedrock in which my recovery builds on from this book, Alcoholics Anonymous. I have never ever doubted it since then. But in the early stage, I stood on those shoulders, we, the shoulders of the we. And trust me, I was an unlovely creature. 
I was not nice. I did not care for you people with your sober truth self. There goes that, oh God, that old timer. Here he comes. But I stood on their shoulders because that step showed me the unmanageability that when I pick up a drink, I have lost all control and I was killing myself. What happens to a human being that pours alcohol in themselves and know fully that they are killing themselves and can't stop? That is a very, very, very hard picture for me to look at. And you guys allowed me to tear it apart and say to myself, oh my God, here I am. I cannot understand how some people can have a few drinks like my husband and just live free without even thought about it. Here I am. I can't take one. And then he says here, he says, and when I get into, when I give into that desire, the obsession of the mind, the ease and comfort, what happens to me? Here I am. The phenomenon of craving. Can't get enough. I have to keep doing all kinds of things that I never thought I would do. Places I don't want to go. People I don't want to be with. Doing things that have been never been taught in my life. That I have picked up habits. That I, to maintain this lifestyle. And what he says here, he says. Once I go through this Spree, this well-known stages of spree. Which means for me, I pass out. I am a drink. When I, when I drank, I passed out and I came to. And when I came to, I say the alcoholic anthem. This I would never do again. And it was only a matter of time. And it was in the rooms that I was able to see that I do have a problem. And you guys said, if I can identify and then I can say it, admit means speaking the truth, not only to myself, but say it out loud. Because when I say it out loud, it becomes more truthful. I'm honest with myself first, but I've got to tell you, I am an alcoholic. Today I say it proudly. Because I know it is my truth in which I stand on. And so when I can do that. He says I, I, until I can admit. I don't have this program. I don't stand on solid ground. So this house that I ask you to think of when I said I'm building a house. It's firm bedrock built on honesty. The admit. The powerlessness. Lack of power. No power I have. When I put that in my body, all bets are off. And so it says I need to do it. And the reason why is that I've lost control. And the God, today I call it the God of my understanding. But you guys were my power. You in the rooms were my power. You showed me the we. And by the time I got to the point where I understood, I could stand on that bedrock. Now we have to build something on that solid concrete now, right? Because you can't lay and sleep on a slab of concrete. We are going to have to build something on it. And so next week we'll talk about the solution.
because this is what it's about. When, we, when I came into the rooms, they told me, you can't sit still, you've got to keep moving. You have to chase recovery the same way you chased your drink. And thank God for those in instructions from old timers because I have not stopped chasing this. It is one of the best decisions I have made in my life when I realized that this step was 100%. I never found it necessary to go back out for more research. It took the time in early sobriety for me to realize, strip down the problem, it, the thinking, and then the action. I start getting drunk before I pick up a drink. This is the disease I have. And so that's, the, the, that's my take on step one, simply said. And I hope it helps somebody tonight because it sure reminded me of where I came from. Thank you. I got clogged up there. Let's give Paulette another hand. Um, let's have our secretary report. Hi, my name is Brandon, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall fully be self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the back of the chairs. I've asked Dan to come up and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what exactly it means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hey everybody, I'm Dan. I'm an alcoholic. Recovered. We're not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we'd be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for a lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous of Alcoholics Who Came to AA and Really Tried. Fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty-five percent sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with it, AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, and came to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a seventy-five success rate. If anyone is needing a sponsor, please raise your hand. Or you could come up and stand by the piano awkwardly and somebody will help you in the process. And then can the recovered alcoholics please raise your hands? Those are the people to hang out with. Um, and then screen announcements. 
Uh, Broward County Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature, medallions, and Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get to an outside meeting, like jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Next slide. Uh, okay, the men's 14th annual advance. Next. Uh, 60th Intergroup Appreciation Banquet will be held April 2024. They're having their second planning meeting February 21st. And then we have Paulette until May 2nd. And I'd like to welcome you to our Monday night big book study. That's where the book comes alive. Uh, we, meet, we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, and the little red book and big book dictionaries for sale. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. And we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you next week. So those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, Paulette, please line up in the center aisle and let's all seated say the Lord's Prayer. Is that what we're doing? Okay, great. So from our seats. Whose Father? Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Just can't get it right It doesn't matter
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Now, growing vines, 
twist and turn each way Flowers blooming all the time Outside my door Never before I had to change everything To realize That today is the best day of my God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Take. Got one man that just wants to 